Hi guys. This is a special series that will span several episodes about one of North America's most notoriously haunted locations, the Blue Ghost Tunnel. If you search online, you will find an enormous amount of information about the tunnel and various YouTube videos documenting ghost hunts. This series will provide accurate information, historic research, and personal accounts dating back to the 1950s. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 2, Episode 14, The Making of a Legend, The Blue Ghost Tunnel. So is the Blue Ghost Tunnel really haunted? What makes a house, a bridge, a tunnel haunted? According to torontoghosts.org, the answer is very simple. Just what is a haunted site? What is the qualification for that title? How does one quantify haunted or not haunted, they ask? There is a simple answer, and some people won't like it, but it's true. What makes a haunted site is if people say it's haunted. One person says so, then another person experiences something, so they say so, and by the time you have three or more unrelated people saying so, the bargain is struck. So who said the Blue Ghost Tunnel was haunted in the first place? According to Thorold's residents, the chatter started amongst children and their parents, who often ventured into the area to use it as their own playground. One can imagine being eight or ten years old, happening upon a dark, damp tunnel and hearing strange noises coming from within. Children often perceive a dilapidated house or a darkened cemetery as haunted, and the tunnel must have been intensely foreboding and terrifying when underbrush hit its entrance. Some brave enough to explore the tunnel did so in the early days and did not encounter any paranormal activity. Others, after hearing the tales from other children and their parents, began to experience odd activity at the tunnel. Some exaggerated their stories to make them more interesting, while others forged additional urban legends into the tunnel walls. Despite the stories, the tunnel, seemingly uninteresting to most Niagara residents, existed for the most part without many visitors. In the late 1990s, as interest was on the rise in the paranormal, teens in the area began chattering about a haunted tunnel they frequented. Many believed this was simply the efforts of teenagers developing a good campfire story late at night. As the online presence of paranormal enthusiasts began to grow, the chatter about the tunnel reached the internet. Here are some theories as to why the Blue Ghost Tunnel may be haunted. The Visiting Ghost Theory One theory suggests that the tunnel itself is not haunted at all but instead is a gathering point for visiting spirits who are attracted to the steady stream of humans looking to contact the other side. Perhaps this theory has some merit because there is no doubt there is activity at the tunnel, yet there is no historical document or historical article that suggests that anyone had expired within or near the tunnel. In going by the hypothesis that a haunted location needs a death, the tunnel should be free of any ghosts. So why do people witness strange phenomenon at the tunnel and believe that they have been in contact with a ghost or several ghosts? It is interesting to note that of the visitors who profess they have witnessed an actual apparition or have a deep feeling inside 
many identify a group of spirits, not just a single entity. Even first-time visitors who have never previously heard of the tunnel will sometimes come to similar conclusions that the tunnel is haunted by any or all of the following. A large, dark man who often appears as a shadow, dressed in period clothing from the late 1800s. The feeling is that this ghost is strong, powerful, and angry. This energy usually appears at the entrance to the tunnel and is sometimes near the center. A young female, aged four to seven, who is frightened. An older female child in the range of 10 to 13, who is also frightened and who had succumbed to suffocation by some means. It appears this spirit is held against its will. An older female, aged 18 to 25, who is protective of the children. Of course, there are additional sightings involving several other spirits, but the most commonly encountered and documented by psychics and paranormal investigators are the ones listed here. So who are these ghosts, and where did they come from? Are they the angry spirits of the old Lakeview Cemetery? Were they residents in the long-forgotten houses around the tunnel? Is this theory correct, that the tunnel itself is not haunted, but rather the ghosts have been attracted to the spot because of the human energy there and the interest in speaking to the other side. Another proposed theory is that the Blue Ghost Tunnel is in fact the original and legendary Screaming Tunnel in Niagara Falls. Some claim that the tunnel on Warner Road in Niagara Falls was mistakenly labeled as the Screaming Tunnel and that it was labeled as such only because of its ease of access. The theory proclaims that the events that took place at the Screaming Tunnel in Niagara Falls actually took place at the Blue Ghost Tunnel, which is why paranormal researchers and visitors alike have experienced the sounds of screaming at the Blue Ghost Tunnel. They also reason that the Screaming Tunnel in Niagara Falls is not haunted at all, and that is why many who visit it experience nothing out of the ordinary. This theory, however, has not survived recent research into the Screaming Tunnel on Warner Road in Niagara Falls both conducted by myself and Kevin Valancourt. With the new knowledge gathered, the theory that the Blue Ghost Tunnel is the real Screaming Tunnel has been proven untrue. To protect the privacy of the family involved, this research will not be made public. The Thought Form Theory A thought form is a physical manifestation of energy produced by the thought of an individual or a group. In Tibetan mysticism, it is called a tulpa, a thought form or a tulpa can be subdivided into three main categories. One, that which takes the image of the thinker. Two, that which takes the image of some material object. And three, that which takes form entirely on its own, expressing its inherent qualities in the matter which it draws around it. The Blue Ghost Tunnel in its early days was simply a dark, dirty, and damp tunnel that children had determined was haunted not based on a murder, a death, a tragedy, or even an unexplained paranormal encounter, but simply because of its appearance. Like an old abandoned house, the children whispered of ghost stories and of a haunting. In the 1950s and into the 1960s, the tunnel had very few visitors, and certainly not all the explorers were brave enough to enter the tunnel. It wasn't about until the 1970s that these explorers determined that the tunnel was haunted. But again, it was rumor, and no evidence of such a haunting was ever published or determined to be of any significance. Many of the early explorers dismissed reports of paranormal experiences in the tunnel, but were fascinated by its architecture and the history. 
Later visits through the 70s and 80s continued in a similar vein. Few considered the tunnel haunted, and there were no attempts to gather evidence about ghosts or any hauntings. In the 1990s, when those interested in the paranormal began exploring the tunnel, they believed that there could be something abnormal about it. But these individuals, including myself, felt that the tunnel did not provide much in the way of any evidence. Nick Blay and his friends, who heard audible screams at the tunnel and felt that it may be haunted, did not press further because they did not witness substantial evidence of paranormal activity. It was simply a cool place to hang out, dark and mysterious, away from parents and the pressures of society. Just as the children of previous generations had done, tunnel visits in the 1990s began focusing their imaginations on the idea of a haunting. And along came Russ. Russ's reports changed everything because not only did he declare the tunnel to be haunted on his very first visit, he also maintained that poltergeist activity had occurred, demonic beings manifesting themselves, ghost dogs guarding the entrance, and the list goes on and on. What Russ did was create a tangible thought. He took the idea that the tunnel was haunted and gave it character. His online journal created ghosts and even gave them names. It gave backstories, histories, emotion, and feelings. Russ's thought form. The paranormal explorers and thrill seekers knew of Russ's ghosts in the early explorations of the tunnel. Many came calling on September, the little girl, and other ghosts that Russ had described. They were sharing his story wholeheartedly, believing in the paranormal, and that what Russ had encountered was the truth. The droves of visitors to the tunnel, on some nights numbering in the hundreds, all came to see one thing, the haunting. A collective thought and a genuine interest in manifesting the thought became reality. Visitors claimed to see, hear, smell, feel, touch, speak to, and be spoken to by a variety of entities. Photographic, video, and audio and even physical evidence of a haunting began to make its way into the fabric of the legend. Reputable investigators began experiencing this same phenomenon, and many continued to investigate the tunnel's haunting. The thought form theory suggests that the many individuals seeking to find and experience a haunting have actually created the haunting through a collective consciousness. Before you dismiss this theory, as some ancient ooga-booga mindfuck or some new age mysticism, consider what the Toronto Society of Cyclical Research manifested in an experiment in which their goal was to create a ghost from scratch and only from their imagination. Their first step was to create a personality. They would take great pains to make this fictional, non-existent person seem real. It was essential to our purpose that Philip be a total, fictitious character, not merely a figment of the imagination, but clearly and obviously so, with a biography full of historical errors, said team leader Dr. Owen. Our ghost would have never existed. The ghost they manifested through the creative thought was Philip Ellsford, a person living during the 1600s at the time of Oliver Cromwell. The Toronto group made Philip a Catholic who was loyal to the king. He was married to a very cold woman named Dorothy, who would not bear him children. The two lived in his family home in Dingdington Manor. 
Although there really was a Dignington Manor in England, no such person as Philip ever lived there. The group created a particular incident that figured into Philip's character as a ghost. One day, while he rode his horse near the boundaries of his estate, he happened upon a gypsy encampment. There he met Margot, a beautiful dark-haired girl with whom he fell madly in love. He moved Margot to the gatehouse and kept their love a secret from his wife. Eventually, however, Dorothy found out and accused Margot of witchcraft. Fearing he'd lose both his reputation and possessions, Philip said nothing and let Margot be burned at the stake. Philip's subsequent remorse sent him into a deep depression. He took to pacing the battlements of the manor at night. One morning, Philip's body was discovered at the base of the battlements, an apparent suicide. He was 30 years old. With Philip and his history now established, even down to a drawing made by one of the group members, they began memorizing information about this non-existent character, creating more detail and learning about the historical period in which he lived. They sought to create a collective hallucination of Philip by describing his appearance, food preferences, and especially his feelings towards Dorothy and Margot, until they had created a complete mental picture of him to which they could all subscribe. In September of 1972, the group attempted to contact Philip using techniques similar to a traditional seance, save for the theatrics and magical tricks. The first meeting went on for several hours with no materialization of Philip. Each week, the group conducted the same type of meeting, all concentrating on contacting Philip, and each week over the course of several months, nothing, absolutely nothing occurred. The group was ready to give up the experiment, but decided to try a new strategy. They began the experiment as before, but the atmosphere and approach was more casual and relaxed. Individuals were allowed to meditate and concentrate on Philip without having to force their thoughts. With this new technique, the group began experiencing success. The first phenomenon they observed was that the table around which they were sitting started to vibrate. The vibration could not be explained, and even though the group sat away from the table, it continued to vibrate. No logical explanation could be account for all this activity. Over the next few meetings, the table began to make physical noises. A knock was heard and repeated. Thinking they themselves were inadvertently causing the raps, they investigated. But when the table started to move around the floor in an irregular, apparently aimless manner, they started questioning one another. Finally, a member asked, I wonder whether Philip is doing this. At that point, a loud knock was heard from the table. Before long, they had worked out a communication system in which yes was one knock and no was two knocks. With this in place, they began to conduct a series of conversations with Philip. They joked with him, teased him, even flirted with him. They learned his likes and dislikes and found he had strong views on various subjects. When Philip was asked if Dorothy, his wife, didn't want children, the members heard scratching sounds coming from the walls. One member asked if the question was too personal, and one loud rap was heard responding with a yes. It was noticed by all present that the raps and movements of the table seemed to be very closely related, if not actually activated by the knowledge, thoughts, wills, moods, and power of concentration of each of the members of the group. 
If the entire team were in agreement about the answer to a question, the responses would come very quickly. But if one or more people were uncertain about the answer, then Philip's responses would be hesitant, taking time to reply, says Dr. Owen. As the group became more comfortable in their encounters with Philip, they began to treat him as just another member of the group. They learned his personality, as if he was a good friend, and Philip would play tricks on them. At times, he would move the table around the room, even rushing up to those arriving late as if to greet them and say hi. Other times, the table would trap certain individuals in corners. During one especially active night, one of the members jokingly admonished Philip by telling him that he could be sent away and replaced. After that, Philip's activity began to decrease until it stopped altogether, and the experiment was terminated. We clearly understand and have proved that there is no spirit behind the communications. The messages are from the group's subconscious. But it is the physical force we need to know more about, says Dr. Owen. The success of the group's research encouraged other groups to attempt similar experiments. Another Toronto group created Lilith, a French-Canadian spy during World War II, and a group of French students from Quebec created Sebastian, a medieval alchemist, and Axel, a man from the future. The ultimate goal of these experiments was to manifest an apparition. However, none of the experiments was able to produce such evidence. They did, however, prove that perhaps British psychologist Kenneth J. Batchelthorpe was correct when he said, The atmosphere of belief and expectation that permeates a seance in effect creates the phenomenon that spiritualists attribute to spirits. The experiments had proven a connection between the mind and psychokinetic activities during seances. But could this connection be made at a suggested haunted location, such as the Blue Ghost Tunnel? Could our collective subconscious be responsible for the paranormal activity at the tunnel? Now that we have some theories, let's weigh the evidence that the tunnel is actually haunted. Russ's past may explain his experiences at the Blue Ghost Tunnel. According to Russ, he had begun experiencing paranormal phenomenon at an early age and had experimented with using a witchboard prior to his experiences at the Blue Ghost Tunnel. Russ also says that he lived in a haunted house in Fort Erie, Canada. He claims the energy in this house caused people to have nervous breakdowns and psychotic episodes. He suggested that, as a result of the haunting, a teenage girl committed suicide by jumping out of her second-story bedroom window, and that shortly after the incident, the house was exorcised by a Roman Catholic priest. Russ also says the original owner's daughter, who was engaged and pregnant, was killed in a tragic vehicular accident near the home. He concluded that the house was haunted and that a paranormal explanation for the experiences and tragedies could be found in a local story known as the Wicker Legend. As a teen, Russ assembled a small group of friends who frequently visited haunted locations across Niagara. Often, he would catch orbs or mists in his photography, believing them to be spirits or ghosts. I also spoke to others in his group who suggested that Russ had been involved with hallucinatory drugs and was heavily interested in the occult. During the exploration of the Blue Ghost Tunnel, Russ's group disbanded because of personal reasons. But recently, some have come forward to say that although they cannot explain a lot of what happened during their visits to the tunnel, they believe that Russ had not actually experienced everything that he said he did. 
Was Russ embellishing his experiences to make a more interesting and terrifying story that he hoped would land a book deal or even a movie deal? Did the history of living in a haunted house contribute to his experiences? Did the use of hallucinatory drugs play a role in developing the legend of the Blue Ghost Tunnel? Or were Russ's experiences genuine? This we do know. Russ has not returned to the Blue Ghost Tunnel, nor has he been involved with investigating the paranormal or any aspect of the occult. Russ married one of his teammates and operates a successful internet business. He does not wish to discuss nor participate in any discussion about what happened at the Blue Ghost Tunnel. He wishes to remain anonymous, known only as Russ. To protect his identity and his privacy, we will not be releasing his full name. We also know that since Russ's exploitation of the Blue Ghost Tunnel, countless others, including paranormal investigators, have experienced phenomenon that closely matches his experiences. Is the Blue Ghost Tunnel haunted? And if so, by whom? My own personal belief is that the tunnel itself is not haunted, but it remains a focal point for all our energy and investigation. It's a destination for both body and spirit. There is no historical document, newspaper clipping, or any recording whatsoever concerning a haunting or even a tragic death in the tunnel. The theory that the train collision near the tunnel has caused the haunting is not supported by any proof, no EVPs, no psychic impressions, nothing of the men or their names. On several attempts, I have called out to these spirits, to no avail. In my opinion, they do not haunt the tunnel, nor the area of the accident. Then what of the house foundations? Could they be the cause of the hauntings? Again, there are no historical documents, newspaper clippings, or any recordings of a haunting whatsoever connecting these foundations. What Gord Westwater felt at the foundations during his investigation may be energy from a residual haunting, and it was not transferred nor felt at the Blue Ghost Tunnel. What about John Walker's house on the hill and the rumor that it was haunted? Again, there are no historical documents, newspaper clippings, or any recordings of a haunting at this house that can be connected with the tunnel itself. The name Walker or John Walker was never recorded on EVP or through psychic impressions. What about the other tragic deaths? Could the instantaneous deaths of canal workers or the drowned five-year-old boy be responsible for the hauntings at the tunnel? And why would they decide to haunt a tunnel they had no relationship with? What about the burial ground that was moved? With the investigation conducted by the Shadows Project, we can determine that this location may be haunted. But what does it have to do with the Blue Ghost Tunnel? The burial grounds are a good distance from the tunnel. And why would lost spirits of a disrespected cemetery haunt a tunnel they had no relationship with? You might argue that is because the construction of the tunnel forced the removal of the bodies from the old burial ground. But this is not true. The cemetery was moved because of the need for a pondage area. So shouldn't the spirits be manifesting in the pondage area instead? What about the old Lakeview Cemetery? Are those spirits haunting the tunnel? I don't believe so. The cemetery is even further away, and those interned there had no relationship to the tunnel. So what is going on at the tunnel, and why do so many people experience what they consider paranormal activity? Let's first discuss the experiences people generally encounter. 
From the early days before Russ exposed the tunnel and described his adventures, there were several individuals who had heard audible screams from a female. Others, including myself and other reputable paranormal investigators, have heard those exact screams. The evidence predating Russ's exposure is the most interesting, as no one at the time was particularly influenced by claims of paranormal activity. Still others claim to have witnessed a ghost dog. However, to date, no reputable paranormal investigator has recorded, seen, felt, or been exposed to or tell of a ghost dog. Only Russ's hallucinatory adventures and haunted Hamilton have experienced a ghost dog, and it appears we can dismiss both as sensationalism. Next is the child spirit, who many feel is frightened, lost, and looking for help. Some say they hear the crying and sobs of a young female. Some believe the child is about 4 to 7, while others feel she is older in the age range of 10 to 13. She seems frightened, and the viewers report the impression that she has succumbed to suffocation at some time. It appears this spirit is held against its will. Most oppressive, however, is a male figure, who has been seen, recorded, and photographed. Each time the sense is of a strong older man in period clothing. The male figure is felt near the entrance of the tunnel and seems to be guarding that entrance. Let's conclude that these spirits, that of a woman, a female child, and a male figure, are accurate. Who are they? And what are they doing haunting a tunnel that has had no physical record of any death? And why are individuals who have no prior knowledge of the tunnel experiencing these ghosts? It's been suggested that the water, both above the tunnel and within the tunnel, are magnets for spirit activity, and that is what is attracting spirits to this particular location. If that's true, then we must conclude that the ghosts of the Blue Ghost Tunnel are traveling from another location, perhaps to make contact with us. We could speculate further and suggest that because of the increasing foot traffic, the spirit-to-human contact has intensified, making this location a haunted hotspot worthy of further investigation. But there is something else to consider, and that is the possibility that we are fabricating the whole damn thing. Beginning with the earlier accounts, including Russ's experiences, to the present-day investigations, it may be possible that, together, we have manufactured a ghost, or in this case, a series of them, simply by using our own minds. The Philip experiment has certainly suggested this possibility. Perhaps the Blue Ghost Tunnel is a haunting of our own making. We could have created our own legend, if you listen to this podcast hoping to get concrete answers, I am sorry. In the realm of the paranormal, there are rarely concrete answers, just more questions to be asked. I am hoping that by listening about the history, the experiences, and investigations of others, you will be inspired to question more, to not take things at face value, and to make your own visits and investigations to the Blue Ghost Tunnel and other even more engaging haunted locations. I encourage those who are interested in the Blue Ghost Tunnel to explore it for themselves and share their experiences with others on social media sites, website forums, and blogs. Perhaps the answer will be revealed through your endeavors. The Blue Ghost Tunnel is a legend. It is a legend of our own creation, one that we developed and constructed, one that we are responsible for molding, Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler.